Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. For 35 years, I had a job in which I could make films that I wanted to make. What I like to do are microcosmic stories about one person, um, because one person is more interesting than a million people, to me. I mean, a million people may be suffering, but I get that suffering from one person. Sheila Nevins has explored the human condition in the thousand or so documentaries she produced for HBO. From more than 30 years of telling us stories about ourselves to her experience as a woman in the workplace, Sheila has plenty to say about communicating, and she never holds back. Sheila, I'm so glad to be talking to you, because, you know, we talk a lot about communicating and relating on this show. And what I love is that you can talk about it from so many different directions, so many different ways of relating and communicating. You may not even realize that right now. No, I'm not sure I do. I know that I talk too much. Is that part of it? (laughs) (laughs) I had to learn that to talk so much. You did? uh, Oh, God. How did you learn it? Uh, by noticing people's half-lids, half-lidded eyes. Me too, me too. But you know, when I had a job job and I had power... I couldn't notice it, but as soon as I lost the power, I noticed them blinking. Wow, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is interesting. See, that's that's there's an area that I wanted to ask you about. Blinking? You want to talk about blinking? No, no, No. I want to talk about (laughs) talking when you have power. Right. How do you lead people and get the best out of them? How do you do that? By being careful not to take the power too seriously. Mm. But the point it is, it exists. For thirty-five years, I had a job in which I could give films away. I could make films that I wanted to make. I could hire people I wanted to hire. And then it ended. And I think I did talk too much. I think I do talk too much. I think that I didn't notice it until I had no power anymore. Because I could see people looking away or thinking mm-hmm. I was wacky or nuts or, um, you know, saying I got to go. I think I got to go now. When someone says that to you, you know that you've lost your power. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I and mean, more people have said to me, I've been out of HBO now for like six months. I was there for almost 38 years. So for 38 years— So for 38 years, years, people listen to you. Yeah, well, maybe not the first five years. I had to, you know, claim my fame. But once I got my area and once I got my salary, people started listening to me, I thought— and then when I didn't have my area, 
and I didn't really have my salary in the same way, and I couldn't give out projects, um, I noticed that I must be much more boring than I think I am. I really, well, I really do think this. I'm not just saying it because it's cute. I actually, more people um, have to go. <laughs> I hope they don't leave your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I've found that helps me not talk so much, right? Because I do love to hear the ideas that come out of my head. I didn't know. They were... <laughs> well, can you think the ideas without saying them? I'm learning to do that. See, I don't know how to do. I'm just learning that now. Which is to to. I once had a boss who said to me, "Do you ever have an idea that you don't express?" Oh, that's great. Yeah, but he didn't like me. <laughs> I know, but it's it's an interesting question. It is. An but I remember working with Larry Gelbart, who was a great writer who right. could think up funny things at the speed of light. And one of the things I noticed about him and admired was that he didn't say every funny thing he thought of. Oh, see, I have to learn that. It's a, it, it, it's Maybe hard. we should do the rest of this podcast in silence. <laughs> and then at the end, I'll write a list of what I thought. All the things you could have said. <laughs> but it is, these things, you don't, you get ideas. I mean, you, you and I are probably both similar in that regard. Yeah. We get ideas, and they sound interesting to us. And we didn't know, we never heard them before, so we wanted to share them with yeah, people. Yeah, and, and, and I need to hear them to hear them. I mean, yeah. I, I maybe that's a kind of learning disability in a way, which is that I need to have the auditory part of the idea to be able to, for it to register as a possibility. Well, the thing that I have found that helps the most is actually listening to the other person. Oh, I have to learn that. Do I have to listen to you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm afraid you're going to have to listen to me a little bit. I talk over people. (laughs) I talk while they're talking. I used to. I can't anymore because no, they, I, they, I don't have any power gotta, anymore. They got <laughs> to go. They got to go. I think do. if I write another book, I'll call it I Got to Go. That's a good title. <laughs> a good title. So well, here's the thing that, that that you talked about HBO. I was shocked when I heard the acclaim you've got because I'm a personal fan of your documentaries. I know. I know. I need been, all the fans I can get. But you've been making documentaries now for, you made how many for HBO? Over a thousand. Oh, over 1,500 in truth. Oh, wow. And are, are these numbers right? You've worked on shows that got 35 news and documentary Emmy Yeah, Awards. yeah, but wait, before you do the list and then Academy Awards. Blah, blah, blah. No, I want to say Academy but I, Awards. When... <laughs> you get... You got 42 Peabody's and 26 Academy Awards. What the I hell? Didn't, I mean, my shows did. I mean, well, I you, happened to you have worked been present. On them. Not I bled put... them. I bled them into being. Yeah. I didn't I mean, just you, work you, them. You would you'd, yeah. you'd say, yes, make that, and then you'd complain a lot about how it was complain, made. Complain, and sometimes people brought me ideas that I, you know, I tried not to take credit for what I didn't do, um, but I deserve a lot of credit for what I did do. But when I stopped doing it... Um, it was as if I'd walked into a stop sign. I told you when you were— You told me. You told me I would be depressed, and you were right. I, I, I How know. How did you know that? I knew because it happened to me. I was mainly responsible for stopping MASH when we did. Why did I, you stop it? I wanted to stop at the top, at the top of our ability to I make never wanted shows. to stop. Well, I just thought— I want us all to be proud of this and not bleed Good it dry. For you. You're a much nicer person than no, I am. No, yes, I you are. But, if there but, is a heaven which there isn't, you will go to it. But there <laughs> so isn't. Don't no, worry. They, don't so, worry. So you have no <laughs> prospects for me at all. None at all. So, but, uh, but I'm just saying if there was a probability or even a possibility yeah, or well, the slightest chance, well, then you would be first in line. Thank you. But I would I, certainly be behind. Now you're talking over me. <laughs> <laughs> 
So here's what I, even though I was largely responsible for stopping it, I got depressed for a year because, as I said to you, it's like stepping off a speeding train. You said that and you were right. It so really I, are, you, are you better off now? I'm happy today because you let me be on your show. <laughs> but let me say the most amazing. I feel amazing. a non-entity persona is walking around with me and becoming me. Do you have that thing that they call imposter syndrome? What is it? I that, probably have it. Yeah, <laughs> as long as it's a syndrome. But is that, a syndrome different from a disease? I don't. I don't even know. Oh, okay. But uh, the idea is that if you have this imposter syndrome, you f- believe inwardly that you're an, an imposter, that you don't really aren't really up to the work you're, you've been assigned to. And I think I do have it. Someday they'll catch you out at it. No, I think I haven't been caught in so long. I must be good at the imposter game. But I do have—I don't think I really had it until I walked into the stop sign, which is, did I really do this? Did I really earn this? I'm really good at what I did. Um, was I really as good as the next person or better than the next well, let me, person? Let me just, I think I had it. Let me just remind you of the last number that I was going to say. Yes. 32 individual primetime Emmy Awards. So, individual to you. So? So that's that's more than anybody's ever. That's more than I got. Well, and you I, just weren't good enough. I can't. No, I know. I know. I'm, <laughs> it's clear now I have to develop this imposter thing. <laughs> You know, I, but I lasted longer. How long was your show? I, don't, I can't compare myself to MASH. I can't compare anything I did to that show. But how long, I mean, how many shows I worked on, I would have had to have gotten all those awards because for one show, you can only get one award. But if you're doing 1,500 shows, the chances are you're going to get a lot of awards. Just It's just like the needle in the haystack thing. Okay, I so- had more needles in the haystack. So you're bound to find one. Yeah, so. and then that one becomes an award, and then everybody says, you got more than somebody else. But I worked on different titles. Not my fault you worked on the same title for so long. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> so having having done so much work that right. received so many accolades, right. my guess is, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but my guess is you have some theory about how to tell a story, which is the essence of communication to me, uh, part of the essence. Do you, do you have some ideas about how to tell a story that I've we could all I've had to think from? about that recently because I've seen so many boring stories. I think how to tell a story is to make sure you're not boring the person that you're telling the story to. So what do you do to not bore them? How do you know you're not you boring You feel them? their presence how as a living, breathing person who may not be where you are or be interested in what you are. The worst thing about the area that I worked in is that people would come and pitch me ideas that meant something to them alone. Mm. Um, them alone isn't enough for me. So you imagine somebody else watching this story? Always. Maybe because my background was always theater. And when I got into television because I needed a job, there's no audience. So you have to bring the audience with you to television. Documentaries, when I started in you know eighteen the eighteen hundreds, was uh, were really political docu's. They were about um, economics. They were about politics. They were you know they were not about human beings struggling with the daily parts of life. Unless I- issues, it was issues instead of people. Issues instead of people. And so what I like to do are microcosmic stories about one person. Um, because one person is more interesting than a million people, to me. Mm. I mean, a million people may be suffering, but I get that suffering from one person. Um, 
I think, I mean, I don't know why this just popped in my mind, but uh, I was given an assignment many years ago at the end of the 50th anniversary of the Second World War to do a World War II story. And so I started reading about planes, and I mean, I, I couldn't get into it. It was just horrible, and, and um, you know, it was about uh, the end of the war. Uh, the celebrations. And I went to the Holocaust Museum. It seems like I only go to museums, but I don't. I did go to that one. So what, you saw this movie okay, about the Okay, so I saw woman. this movie about this one woman yeah. who had survived a death camp march and also who had survived uh, a, a concentration camp in Poland. And her name was Gerda Weissman Klein. And when I came back to work that week, and I actually came with my, went with my son and my husband and... Um, but I was captivated by this woman. I couldn't get her out of my mind because she laid like 65 pounds, went on a death march in the ice of Poland in the winter, wound up in a kind of warehouse. Her friends died on this walk, and she was rescued by a German-American soldier, an American who was of German ancestry, mm. and married him. He Whoa, picked what her a up. Story. Yeah, it's great. So I did this documentary called "One Survivor Remembers," and it was all mine in the sense that I, I not that I discovered Gerda, but that I took her with me from the wall, went to Arizona. You can ask Gerda. You should have Gerda on the show. She's about ninety-four now. Mm. She calls herself bionic, but um, Gerda taught me more about that war and what it was like to be there than anything I've ever seen. And I just came back from Auschwitz and Birkenau because I was never been to a concentration camp, you know, 50 years after I did the film. But Gerda always had bread in her pocketbook. And and all the women I know who say, give me my pocketbook, usually want to put on rouge and lipstick. And she said, give me my pocketbook. She like, give me my book, a pocketbook, darling. Give me my pocketbook. So I gave her the pocketbook, and she took out a piece of bread and took a bite out of it. And wow. this was like 50 years later or 60 years later. So I understood I understood hunger in a way that I could never understand it, and I understood miracles, which was Kurt, who rescued her, this lovely, lovely man who wasn't a good driver and nearly killed me driving me in Arizona when I went to visit her. But um, just just One Survivor Remembers was just a keystone in my learning how to find a story and how to communicate. I even get choked up talking about her now because— Coming back from Auschwitz and Birkenau two months ago, I couldn't help but think of Goethe there. One person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, millions of people died in that camp, not just Jewish people, but gypsies and professors and, you know, all kinds of people, people who hid other people from the Gestapo. But I kept seeing Goethe, and I think maybe the key is to find this, the kernel of the story through the heart of one person who reaches the people or the person you're trying to reach. You know, you, um, you make me think, because you had such a personal connection to Goethe, that it makes me wonder if in the rest of your life you have a lot of empathy, you can understand what other people are going through. I'm not such a nice person, but I have a lot of empathy. Is that well, a contradiction? It, no, I don't think so, because I think empathy— I can be very em- vicious and very vindictive and, and wish people ill. Yeah, empathy is not, for me, for my definition of empathy. But you not, don't have evil thoughts. You don't wish no, people badly, do you? Oh, I pro- saw a Gore Vidal quote, quote somewhere yesterday. I don't know where it was, on a tweet or what it was. Not to me, but just I noticed it. It said, when a friend of mine, uh, when an acquaintance of mine is successful— 
it is a pin in my heart. Oh, I hate that. Isn't that awful? I hate it. I love I love <laughs> to see people succeed. People I don't even know. Because you're such a lovely human being. Oh, no. Yes, no, no. you are. You emerge from this horrible world of, of theater and television and whatever. You know, I think Arlene has a lot to do with it. Arlene has everything to do yeah, with it. Yeah, I really do. Because you Arlene, could be a spoiled brat. Arlene, you said it. <laughs> Arlene, Arlene gave me a whole life. Yes. But... You you keep you keep distracting me with all this talk about me. What um, I was going? Oh, I was I was asking you about. I empathy. know about me. I don't know about you. Why yeah. would I talk about me? I'm so bored with me. I've been with me for so many fucking years already. <laughs> Here's what I I was trying to make trying to answer you about. To me, to me, empathy is not being um, is not the same thing as caring about the well being of another person. It's just knowing what they're going through. Oh, I have that. Yeah, and you seem have to have that. it really well. And I don't and I don't unless I'm really angry at them want them to go through anything evil. But I I um I'm capable of evil thoughts, but I but I um But that be there are people who are evil who use empathy against other people. Of or course, not, because not they know. Evil. Not necessarily evil if you're an interrogator, but you're using empathy to get the answers sure out you of the are. person. Sure you are. You're finding out what matters to them most and you're telling them you can take that away from them. I can kill your family. Yeah. Tell me. Right. Or at this very I can, moment. I can smother your child. Tell me. Or I I agree with you about everything and I, may, I make you trust me and now right. I got you in a way I didn't Yeah, empathy is not necessarily a positive uh, human trait. It just can be used negatively, but it can also be used positively yeah, and I to think reach. It's, I think it's a tool for communication. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I do too. And you seem to really use it. It's I do a, use it. But I'm not, I mean, I could be a witch too. I could be an angel or a witch, depending on my relationship with the person I'm feeling empathy for. I have witch-like characters. I love Halloween. You're kidding. No, I like Halloween. You do? Do you dress up? No. I used to until it was, you know, I was too old to dress up anymore. Just what I could fit into was dress up. Tell me about old. Old is horrifying. Really? You, you, I mean, you're. I mean, I'm 79 years old. I'm an old fart. I'm 82. I'm, well, then you're three years further into fartdom. No, I'm a young fart. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know you're old? I was telling you before that I, um, I tripped on a carpet about six months ago. My boot got stuck under the carpet, and I fell on my knee. And it was excruciating. I could not straighten my knee. I could not do anything. And I, I didn't even cry. I was angry that the, you see, that's why I'm not such a nice person. I should have cried for myself. It hurt. But instead, I was furious at the guy who didn't have a warning sign there that I shouldn't have walked. I, what the, you know, why didn't you say it? Instead of, oh, my knee hurts. So yeah, I don't have empathy did, for my, my is knee. Is that what made you know you were old? Well, he didn't speak English very well, and he called his boss because someone had to help me up. I'm not easy to rise mm. from the ground. So I was lying there with my boot twisted and my leg twisted and all the stuff in my bag all over the place. And I said, you know, help me up. And he was so scared that he said, lady, old lady, fall. Old lady, fall. Old lady, fall. And that made me scream at him even more. Okay, so then the, the construction supervisor, whatever, because they were fixing the hall, came and helped me up. And my knee was like, it looked like a, sort of like a pretzel And then I came back to New York, and I did a lot of feeling sorry for myself, and I thought I'm ruined. And once you hobble, you become old. In other, so in words, other people's eyes. In other people's eyes. So that you then, 
you know, I've done everything not to be old, except I still get pimples. But, I mean, I've had two facelifts. I, if I rush after Botox, I mean, if I could bottle it, I would. I mean, I, 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 I hate it. I realize it. I'm honest about it, but it's, I hate it. So then I go for this MRI, right? And I wait hours, hours, you know, and sit there with people, you know, reading magazines that are old. And finally, they, I hobble over to the nurse, and she says, may I have your Medicare card? And I said, I don't, I don't have a Medicaid card. I just have this one, you know, um, a health, whatever it is, card from work, United Health. And she says, no, darling, uh, no, dearie, no, sweetheart, you have a Medicare card. I said, I don't. And I said, I still work. And she said, yes, dear. Then she had the crowning thing. She said, maybe we could look through your wallet together to find your <laughs> Medicare card. What what interests me is you go to get an MRI, oh. and she insists that you have somewhere in your wallet a, a a card that you don't have. But the first thing she does is call you Deary. Deary. Sweetie. Sweetie Deary. Sweetie Deary. Yeah. yeah. And I, what the, 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 um, the, the experience that I have that's just like that is it happens to me all the time. They call you Deary? No, I go to buy a newspaper at a newspaper stand or something, yeah. and the guy says, what'll it be, young man? <laughs> why is he calling me young man? Because he, he doesn't mean it, that's why. Yeah, because he's saying, you don't exist until I classify you. You know, it's that's a, right. this thing of, of telling us we're old. Isn't that horrible? When it, 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 it was really telling us we're not functioning. Yes, and it's saying that we're discarded. So it's pretty clear that neither of us likes to have it pointed out to us how long we've been around. But we have slightly different ways of handling the knowledge that you can't hang around forever. Sheila and I wrestle with this ultimate reality right after this short break. enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Sheila Nevins. 
you seem to to not like uh, getting into advanced years. Is it just not like I detest it? But but why? what are the choices? Why? Because yeah. it's near death. Well, that's okay. We all got to do that. I know, but it's closer. No, but, but it's just we don't know when it's going to happen. But that's yeah, I know. But thing. you're closer than you were 25 years ago. But it's the ultimate reality. So oh, I, I face it. That's why I'm furious at it. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't really want to die. I know, yet. but you see, denial has been good to me. I I was you being. You don't edu- think about death. Uh, uh, well, it, I suppose I, I I notice other people are dying. I mean, do you have any friends left besides me? <laughs> <laughs> you're it. <laughs> no. But uh, I want, somebody asked me in an interview in London once when I had a day of interviews and I was sick of hearing myself talk. Oh, I never have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> but she asked me a question I'd never heard before, so I was grateful. She said, when do you expect to die? Do you have you, have you, oh, yeah, I get have that. You thought of it? So yeah. I said, if I can still make love 106. You said that? Yeah. And That's then the very next, macho of and you. The, well, what do you want from me? Well, don't you think that you could live to 106 and not make love? I'm not interested in that. Really? Yeah. You're such a hot potato? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the next day, the paper came out. Yeah. And Arlene reads the paper, Watch out, girls. <laughs> is that what it said? Yeah, oh, that's, that's, the, that's the headline. That's but very the funny, funny thing is, yeah. for years, decades, I continued to believe that 106 was my number. Well, maybe it is. Well, so far, I'm right on schedule. But it doesn't matter. It's going to happen sometime. I think reality is Where are you going to go? Where friend. are you gonna go I'm going to go when you die? I'm going to go into, into the ground. I don't, or okay. not, actually, into a jar. I'm going to be You want to be? Did you pick the jar yet? No. Now, that's a good idea. Do you Just, have a will? Of course. Yeah, me too. And yeah. did you basically say whatever they want to do with me, they can do with me? Or oh, did you, you mean, say oh, burn me up? Well, I'm going to be burned. But but what if your daughter or somebody— Well, no, but I don't think anything I am left with, like eyes or kidneys, or anything, are going to be Nobody used to anybody at that age. I can promise you that's true. Yeah, yeah. In my case also. They yeah. might want my hair. <laughs> Why no, would I'm, they want your hair? Because I have great hair. Well, I want your person. hair. You, well, you can't have it. I had, <laughs> As I get older, I get a new relationship with my scalp every week. <laughs> Uh, now you've got me. I can't even remember to finish this question I'm going to ask you. That's because I talk too much. No, it's, you because, cured it's me. partly because you're interesting. No. I, this really interested me. What? It covers a couple of the questions we've talked right? about. On your book tour for your wonderful book, uh-huh. which is called, I can't tell me the name of the book. You Don't Look Your Age and Other Fairy Tales. Right, right. Now, what really caught my eye was you said that you you were asked questions about the book, and the most common question yes. was about the conjugal bed. Yes, totally. What? Tell me. I mean, it was so odd. I became like, you know, Dr. Phil <laughs> yeah. on a book line. I, I was the most bizarre because I really don't know very much about sex. I've been married for 43 years. Um, I was married before that. I You know, I, I think after 43 years, unlike you, I think sex gets kind of like, dissipated. I think it's more loving, that love changes its shape and its color as you get mm-hmm. older. But I became a sex expert. So because I wrote you a story— You mean in people's minds. Yes. Mean, yeah. One woman made me call her husband. 
What? Sam. I had to call this guy named Sam. And what, what did you have to say to him? She didn't want to sleep in the same bed with him anymore because he both had to pee four or five times during the night because he had some kind of prostate issues, which I think most men do at a certain age. Yeah. I'm sure you don't. You're so virile and perfect. But some men have prostate issues and they wake up during the night and they have to go to the bathroom a lot. And she was always warm and he was always cold. So she wanted the air conditioner on and he wanted covers. And so... She wanted to sleep in her kid's bedroom, mm. and she didn't really want to ask him. But I had a story like that in my book about separate bedrooms at a certain point and the fact that these two people who are imaginary love each other just as much. They just sleep in separate rooms and whatever. And this was her story. She had an earmark, you know, bent the page bend. <laughs> and she said, Sam, I, she said, I said, why don't you just read Sam the story? I said, what do you want me to write in the book? She said, she said call him. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you so, did. Well, why not? What was the downside? What did you say to him? I I said, hi, Sam. This is Sheila Evans. I wrote the book that your wife is reading. And she asked me to ask you what you thought about her moving into Mark's room now that he's gone. He said, let her go. <laughs> let her go. What, she's telling all the other women about this? This was in Stockbridge. She, telling all, she's telling all the other women that I, you know. I said, no, no, she wasn't implying that nothing happens in bed when you're together. I think what she was saying was she would be more comfortable. Will you do me a favor? He said, tell Sarah goodbye. Okay, <laughs> tell her to go. And he said, and I'll read your book. This is, a, this is a communication question within other communication questions because yes. this woman couldn't communicate with her husband the but simple thing. But I didn't thing. understand why she didn't just give him the story to read or with, oh, was I she... really playing a part that they had sort of assigned to me? How hard is it to say to the person you love and who loves you? Who says she loves and You're loves keeping him. me How awake you, at uh, night. Wait, 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 wait just a second. What, what, what? What, what? You are sure that people that are married for a long time love each other and tell each other what they're thinking? because you are lucky enough and I am lucky enough to have those kind of relationships? Well, there's always something you don't tell no matter who it is. Okay, but there's also such a thing as being stuck with someone. I have friends who are stuck. Uh, I feel so bad for those people. You know, you see them in restaurants. How about you you look across the room? And they're not talking to each other. For for an hour, they don't say anything. They don't say a word. They don't say a word. And then the next night, you see him there with someone 40 years younger and he's talking a mile a minute. Oh, that I never saw. Well, you don't look. I do. <laughs> you don't go out enough. I can't help that. You probably cook. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't cook. Do you cook? No. I hate cooking. What about you? You've written and talked a lot about how things were different for women in the workplace yes. years ago. Yes. And your own personal experiences. Now, yes. I, it's really great. You I'm really are. I'm very confused about the whole issue of Me Too. I'm very confused because I would say part of me says it's about time. Let's go, girls. Let's go, women. The Me Too movement. Yeah. And part of me says, you know, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Like, you know, what about all these people? James Levine. The greatest opera master in the whole world. What's going to happen? What about a Barishnikov? What about a Picasso? Does that mean we have to take down Guernica? I mean, I don't know what you lose, but you lose sometimes. There are fiends. Fiends should be punished. Rapists should be punished. Women should have equity and, uh, you know, a fair play in the workplace. Yes, yes, yes. But it's a country that's become so puritanical and you're throwing out the, the, the creativity with the bathwater, so to speak. Do we just throw out everything? 
I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer because I don't know the sins and I don't know the crimes. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a movement that's freely moving forward yes, freely without moving direction. Forward. And without, without gradation. So, what about gradation? No, but the thing that, that interests me is that I want to see the movement succeed. I yes, want to see us all. There's no, no doubt about that. But what's interesting to me, we were talking about age a minute ago. Right. Most of the women I know who are beyond the age of 50 or 60 expressed the thought that you just expressed. Yes. The younger women, 20s yes. and 30s, yes. are impatient and they don't care that some people get, some men get their lives rearranged for them because what they did rearranged the lives of, of women. Yeah, I disagree. And I mean, I agree, but I also think that the failure in the workplace is not always indicative of male oppression. You know, just because someone rejected you doesn't mean they rejected you because you didn't sleep with them. There are a lot of people in my career that I pushed away, but they didn't stand in my way. They were in my way for the moment. Yeah, but if you somebody know, says, sleep with me. Or I will so-and-so. Yeah. Or, Nobody or, ever said that to me. But but No that, one ever said that. I probably would have slept with them. Yeah. No, at a certain age, I would probably have done you, it. You, and I think you need to explain that a little bit. I've, I've heard you say that. But, but, you, I, but you it's true. But, but it's that's the, true. that's the culture you grew up in. I grew in an, up in a culture. Well, okay, so I was on camera at U.S. I had gone to the Yale Drama School and majored in directing. There were no jobs for me. It was the 60s. I got, a, I got married to a Yale lawyer. I went to uh, Washington. There were no jobs. What was I going to do? I went to Arena Stage to try to get a job as a PA or whatever. No women were being hired. And also my husband at the time said I should be home in the evenings and I should be home on weekends. I had a boss. Long dead. Thank God he's dead. Okay, I had a boss. (laughs) I was on camera teaching English. That was my job, the only job I could get. And then I heard about a documentary that was being made in Catoctin or something, Maryland, about something called the Job Corps. And the guy who was directing the show that we did, the Adventures in English, it was called, it was excruciating. And I knew that that boss, who was much, much older than I, could have arranged for me to get off that, finish my the series, get off it, and get a PA job um, on that show. So the guy you were working with had the chance to help you get on another show that you really yes. wanted to be on. Not acting, not being in, uh, on camera, but working, you know, right. in the craft. So was there was there some a quid, yes, it was quid a snow pro quo? There was a quid pro quo. I love Latin. Quid pro quo. Okay, so it was snowing. It was this is like sixty years ago. Sixty something yeah. No, fifty years ago. Okay, so it was snowing in Washington and I um saw the light in his office. Now did he pursue me or did I pursue him? I went into his office and two weeks later I was in Cockton, Maryland working on that show. Was I a hooker? Was I a bad girl? Did he force me? Was it the rules of the time? Did did I ask him if I could have that job rather than do the on-camera thing? I didn't have the guts to ask him that. Did he ever indicate to you that there was a connection between the job and the— No, never. No, never. But I said to him at the end of this at the end of this love affair that lasted about two hours, I said to him at the end, and I remember it very clearly because it was really a turning point. I remember saying to him, "Do you think that I could finish Adventures in English in the next five weeks? But I take two weeks off to do, um, you know, this this job core thing." And he said, "I don't see a problem with that." And so 
Monday morning, the snow was gone. I went into the office and I said to the producer of the show, um, XYZ told me I could take off two weeks so you could shoot all the other stuff and I can go and work on this other thing. I don't know if she ever checked. You know, did he write me letters after that? Did I see him a year later and think, what was I doing with that old man? Absolutely. Did he write love letters? Yes. Did I throw so, in the garbage? Yes. Now, now 50 years later. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of unspoken deal right. can come up again for a young woman. A young, I think a woman it can. I think it probably can. And I empathize with it because I think that I didn't have the courage to ask for the job. I couldn't get turned down because I didn't ask. I did the deed, and then I made it a fact, and then I transferred that fact to my more immediate boss. So what's the— um, The message? What's the advice to the, the young woman now? You, you now transported 50 years later. What advice would you give to yourself now? Have more confidence in myself to be mm. able to ask for, you know, not just another pretty face, which it was then, and ask for— a job in the craft that I thought I was made for. That kind of confidence probably could have come in handy in Sheila's first marriage. Uh, you told an amazing story about that marriage when you, you had to John, go away. You had to go away yeah. for three days, and when you came back, yeah, there were three three shirts. There were three cups of coffee. With the spoon. You know how coffee gets like a little moldy after three days? Yeah. So they were gradations of decay. So the one from the day before was still cold coffee. And then the second one was really yucky. And the third one was like moldy. And um, I was to wash those. I was to bring the shirts in. And when I had a loose button, I had to bring the shirt in. And the button was in an envelope. I had to bring it into the cleaners. To, you know. and, and as I remember, you said, what's this? And he said, that's for you. That's for you. It's yours. No, that's yours. That's my job. That's that, what women yeah, do. Yeah. Um, but it, was it his fault? That's how he'd been brought up. That's the part that's hard to cope with. The idea that it's all the product of the, the culture, it's partly a product of the culture, that yes. somebody who can see through that and, and behave in a way that's above the culture has very to be hard. some kind of genius. Yeah, very hard. Very brave. But now the culture is saying something else, and we're in a wave that we don't know where it's going. I think as being an older woman, I think I'm in that wave, and I'm sort of asking for it to recede a little bit. You know, like, I went to a memorial service last week, and some my old, old, old boss, who's probably in his 90s now, hugged me goodbye. And he's the loveliest man in the world. He's married to one of the most wonderful women. It was her memorial service, and she'd made a film and everything. And when he hugged me goodbye, I thought, I wonder if men can hug their the people that they like a lot goodbye anymore, or is that, like, mm. no more? I mean, we had a perfectly lovely relationship, and he helped me a lot when I got to New York. Um, and he gave me so much confidence, and he never laid a hand on me, and he was just a hero. And now he was an old man. And... Um, you know, I was at his wife's memorial service, and I, I, don't know, I felt so uncomfortable being hugged, like, you know, questioning the hug. Yeah, you start so questioning a fucking hug <laughs> with the end of the world, I mean, you know. <laughs> but but that, that, that moment of relating, yeah. which changes as it's the so culture sweet. changes, is so interesting. It is very you, interesting. You, you <laughs> hug, you kiss. Uh, you, do you, do you, you kiss know, on the cheek? Do, do you kiss on the cheek now? 
Or do you wait for the woman to make the first move toward you? I think you have you? to wait for the woman to I make think the you first do move. now. I think you actually do. However, I, yeah. my life might was... might go back. It'll, it'll switch, I guess, eventually. When I was in Chile 15 yeah. years ago, I saw this interesting thing about their culture. When a man meets a woman for the first time, mm-hmm. he's expected to kiss her on the cheek. Oh, really? How yeah. interesting. And it's, I think it's kind of off-putting if you don't. How interesting. I was just thinking about how women used to, in those 19th century novels, you know, drop their handkerchiefs mm. so the man would pick it up. Now, would it be out you know, in the open or accidentally, like, slip it you down? You mean your... drop the handkerchief? Yeah. I don't know. I was, I was not around then. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that, dearie. <laughs> I know the way I look, sweetheart. <laughs> you male chauvinist pig. <laughs> Thank you. On that note... We can say goodbye. Goodbye. What I a love nice. You. This was a wonderful interview. Oh, Thank you so, so much. Oh, it's so much fun because it Thank was a you. real conversation. May I kiss you on the cheek? You could kiss me on both cheeks. Okay, I'll kiss you on the left cheek. Now, and the before right we go, we do this thing. I, I bet you don't mind this at all. I, we got seven quick oh, questions I love that. and seven quick answers. I'm, go ahead. Go, go, okay. go. What do you wish you really understood? Life. What do you wish other people understood about you? That I'm special. What's the strangest question someone has ever asked you? I haven't been asked that yet. You don't take any question as strange. Not really. I can see that from today's talk. No, I really don't. No, no. (laughs) How do you stop a compulsive talker? (laughs) Get rid of me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say, I got to (laughs) go. Oh, well, okay. I was going to say, I got to (laughs) go. Is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's I wouldn't say anyone. I would say. There are people. Yeah. Yeah. A small number. How do you like to deliver bad news? In person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? Always in person. Always. You like Always. that. You Always. like it. Always in person. And okay. there's more and more bad news as you get older and older. Mm. Okay. Last question. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Pretend, like, oh, are you okay? Meaning, I wish you would leave. Or, um, you're so smart. Meaning, that was my idea. Or, um, we're going to miss you. Meaning, get the fuck out of here. Well, I think you're so smart, and I'm going <laughs> to miss you. Oh, uh, <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Okay. But I think what we should do is that I should kiss you on both cheeks on your podcast. Wait, say that into the phone. I think that I should kiss him on both cheeks into the podcast so that it goes out. Okay, here we go. Because I want everyone to know that I did it first, okay? Okay. okay. Thank you, Alan, so much. Mwah. Mwah. This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsors of this episode. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. Sheila Evans has to be one of the most charming people I know. And she has the rare quality of being both witty and genuinely wise. She really transformed the documentary scene and has helped to champion stories from all corners of the world. And she's also known as a mentor to many of the world's top documentarians, especially women who often have a hard time breaking into the field. 
Sheila's first book, and I hope the first of many, is called You Don't Look Your Age and Other Fairy Tales. You can find out more about Sheila and about her books at her website, www.sheilanevans.com. This episode was produced by Graham Shedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. And our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. On our next episode, a really special conversation. And you can hear about that from my friend Loretta Swit right here. Absolutely. This is me. And don't miss this chat we have with our wonderful colleagues, friends, family, the MASH group. We'll be talking with Mike Farrell, Gary Berghoff, Jamie Farr. We're mm-hmm. all together oh, from wait, the and, and you'll be there. And also. I'll be there too. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was going to be all about me. Well, as it turns out, it's mostly about you. (laughs) Next time on Clear and Vivid. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.